What a wonderful, wonderful song. Well, I am thrilled to be here. I'm honored and privileged to have this opportunity to come and get to share a message from God's Word uh, this morning. I've got to be honest in saying this uh, past Thursday and Friday, I wasn't sure I was going to make it. I came down with what is known as, I found out, ketosis flu. Anyone ever heard of it? Uh, it's diet-induced flu. So rather than trying to lose weight at the beginning of the year, I was trying to lose weight later on. My birthday happens right after the first of the year. That ought to be illegal to try to lose weight around your birthday. And so I was doing this low-carb diet, and uh, I ignored the instructions of my wife, Christy, who told me to drink lots of water and make sure I eat lots of vegetables, and I was not doing that. I don't like vegetables a whole lot. And by Thursday, I thought I had the flu. And Friday came around, and things weren't looking too good, so I started doing what I thought would be best, and I started popping a lot of carbs. And I feel back. I feel, feel back to normal. Uh, if you were here with us last week, and if you weren't here with us last week, Mason preached a sermon titled, New Man, New Church. He preached out of Colossians chapter 3, and it was during that section in which uh, is being spoken about putting on a new life in Christ. And there's all the details of the things that we ought to be doing as individual believers in our own lives so that we can become and be the church that God has designed us to be. This morning, we're going to take a step back and we're going to see that God has always had a plan in place for us to become new men and new women in Christ even before Jesus came to earth. Isn't it amazing, though, how fast life goes by? I've always been told, you know, as you get older, time passes fast. I feel like time has been flying past very fast for me, especially lately. Uh, my oldest daughter just turned 14. And here in Kansas, at 14, you can get your driver's permit, which she got yesterday. Now, there's no doubt that she's going to be a very good driver. She's been playing, driving video games for five years, so she's set. Now, you might think I'm joking, but I'm actually halfway serious. Because these driving video games that she plays are an open world environment. We're supposed to go race. She doesn't do that. She obeys the stop signs, the stoplights, the pedestrians that are crossing the street. She doesn't want the cops to get her. I think she's pretty well set. But I can tell you, 14 years has come much too fast for this dad. And I haven't taken her driving yet because I'm, I'm in denial. You know, I don't want... <laughs> To see it actually happening, so Christy's been handling that so far. Uh, the world is honestly, it seems like it's moving faster and faster than ever before. Every tech company out there is releasing a new phone, new gadget, new computer uh, every six months. By the time you buy the one that you think that you want, you buy it, you walk out of the store, it's out of date. Uh, the cell phone companies crack me up because they will release a new product and they say, well, this is the best one we've ever made. Well, I would sure hope so. 
Hopefully you're not making one worse than the last. When you look at what TVs are doing now, they're pushing this whole 4K. They've moved beyond high def. 3D televisions didn't work out all that well. No one wanted to wear those big, ugly glasses to watch television. But when you look at the scope of television, we were in standard definition for so long. Most of my life was in standard def. High def came along, and it really did change the scope and the way that we view television tremendously. But it didn't have that long of a shelf life compared to standard definition before they started pushing 3D television and now 4K. We just recently passed the 10th anniversary of the announcement of the first iPhone, which you could argue revolutionized the way that we interact with our cell phones. These are new things that have been produced that have changed the way that we do things. You see, new things aren't always accepted, right? Just like with the 3D television, no one wants to wear those glasses. Because sometimes it means change. And sometimes change is hard because it changes the way that we operate and the way that we do things. But then there's certain things, new things that happen that really do revolutionize the way that we are to operate. This morning, we're going to take a look at a passage in the Scripture of Isaiah, which God is speaking about a new thing to the people, the Israelites, that are scattered all over the place. And so we see this take place after they've been scattered because they were overtaken by the Assyrian Empire and then the Babylonian Empire. The overall theme of Isaiah is a message of salvation. But see, the first 39 chapters was Isaiah proclaiming the coming judgment of God if they were not to turn back to him. But he was sprinkling a little bit of hope in there in the last 26 chapters deliver this message of hope. And we're going to be in this section of hope. Right in the middle of what looks like a trial between God and the people of Israel. You see, while the people were, of Israel were in exile, they began to lose faith in God. They began to question God and His power. Despite the fact that Isaiah had just been telling them what was going to happen. And it all came to pass. We're going to be in the middle of chapters 41 through 47 where we're seeing God's response to His people. His desire is for them to understand His purpose and His will. He's trying to reorient their perspective. He wants them to understand that they are to be called His servant and show the world who He is. But yet still, the people were rebellious against God. And God tells them that He is going to do a new thing. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 through 21. We're going to break it down into two different sections. And then later on, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. But I just want to pay attention to exactly what is happening as God is responding to the people of Israel. He's wanting to get them on the right perspective. Starting in verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, 
that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives. Even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They're extinguished, quenched like a wick. I'm going to pause right there. These first seven verses... God is trying to get them to understand who they are and who He is. He wants them from the very beginning to understand that they are to be His witnesses, His servants, that are to believe in Him and understand that He is God. He wanted them to have the right perspective of who He was and who they were. Now listen loud and clear. We too need to have that right perspective. God is God and we are not. He goes on to say, there's been no God before me, nor will there be any after me. I am the Lord and besides me there is no Savior. I am the one that has declared and proclaimed, I have saved you even When you went after other gods, I was always there by your side. Even when you chose to ignore me, you are to be my witnesses. I am God. From the very beginning, I am He. No one can take anything from my hand. When I work, no one can change my work. Couple chapters prior in 41, verse 4. Who has performed and done this, calling generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am He. In verse 14, He reminds them that He is their Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And just as I have done in the past when I delivered you from Egyptian slavery, I will deliver you from Babylon and bring you down, return you to me. He reminds them that he is the Lord, their Holy One, their Creator, their King. Verses 16 and 17 describe the power of God. He makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They're extinguished and quenched like a wick. This God that we read about here in Isaiah is the exact same God that we worship today. He is an all-powerful, all-knowing God. 
And what a wonderful song. You are God alone. I love that section, that verse that says, and that's just the way it is. God is God and you are not. Now once he's established the right perspective, God moves on to help them see what he is doing. Picking up in verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. I want us to see what God's instructions are for them. He says, do not remember the things of old. Don't look back at everything that I've done because I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do a new thing. Just as God has done in the past, He's going to accomplish His will But he's wanting them to understand that he's going to do something new, something different, something bigger, something greater. Yet he questions whether or not they even see that he has been at work and is at work. He's wanting them to understand, if you thought what I did in the past was great, you just wait. You just wait to see what I have in store. So don't dwell on the past How many times do we not look to God for what He is going to do because we're too wrapped up in what He has done? And I think it's okay to think about what He has done, but we can't dwell there. We can't remain in the past. I know that I've been guilty of saying it and thinking it, well, you know, things aren't the way they used to be. Society is not the way it used to be. The United States is not the way it used to be. The church is not the way it used to be. Families are not the way it used to be. Sometimes that means because we're placing too much importance on the way it has been versus what God is going to do. When Gavin was three years old, we had just moved back from Kansas City, back to Wichita. We moved up to Kansas City for three years while Christy went to school. And I had the honor and privilege of being a stay-at-home dad. And so when we came back, we came back in January. We got the kids enrolled in school. I was going to start looking for a job. And uh, we got them enrolled in preschool. And I think they had been to school about two weeks or so. And they both got sick. Hal and Gavin both got sick, but obviously opposite each other. We know how that works in families, right? Uh, I believe Gavin got sick first. And then Hallie got sick second, so that means Gavin's got to go back to school first. And Christy's taking Gavin back to school. She's driving him to school, and Gavin seemed to like school. He seemed to look forward to school except for when he got there. And this particular morning, he got there, and he said, I want my life back. Remember, this is a three-year-old. 
My daughter Kylie is three. I can't even imagine her saying that, but he wanted his life back. You see, in his three-year-old mind, his life was in shambles. He was in a new city, new home, new school, new friends, new church, new church activities. His world was turned upside down. And what he remembers is being at home with his dad and his sister. He remembers that world. And so Christy and I had to encourage him that things were going to get better, to look forward, to not dwell on the way things used to be, but that things would get better. You see, that's what God was doing with the Israelites. Don't dwell on the past. Don't dwell on what has been. But look forward to what I am going to do. I am doing a new thing. And see, we can see clearly in Scripture that God has always been in control no matter what. No matter how desperate things look from our perspective, God has always been in control. So no matter how desperate you think, you think things look in this world, in the United States, let me tell you, God knows exactly what He's doing. He's in absolute and total control no matter who's in the White House, no matter who we place man, God is in control. And I'll tell you this, God will amaze us. We've got to trust Him. We've got to trust that God is going to do what He says He's going to do, which is accomplish His will. Look at, verse, at the end of verse 19. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Where there is no way, God creates a way. Where things seem desperate or hard, God provides. That is the God that we worship. That is the God that we can have a personal relationship with. Verses 20 and 21. I think they hint to a future that's further down the road. It says that He will provide in places and in ways that we might not think. We've got to remember that we are very finite when it comes to our minds. God sees all and knows all. But the end, in verse 21, he gives us his ultimate goal. That the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. That is God's goal for his people. We see that God has been at work far longer than any of us have ever and around. And we get a glimpse in verse 25 of this new thing that God has introduced. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. We worship a merciful God who pours out his grace on us. And we know that this is the exact reason that Jesus was sent. To die on the cross for our sins. 
And we know that this new thing that that is Jesus Christ. Later chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah speaks prophetically about this one who is the promised Messiah. This one that we know to be Jesus Christ. Folks, we are a part of that new thing that God talked about so long ago. We are blessed to have the whole Word of God. We can see that when Jesus came into the world, He had a profound effect on the world. Jesus changes everything. On the world level, on the individual level, Jesus has changed everything. It goes beyond the Jewish people, but goes out to all people. See, God through His Son redeems all the world, all those who believe in Him. Jesus chose His disciples and establishes what we know today as the church. And you and I are a part of the church. And the church has become the way in which the message of Jesus Christ is to be spread across all this world to all people. We are part of this new thing that God speaks of clear back in Isaiah. I want you to flip in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to see the result of this new thing implemented. I'm going to see Peter as he's addressing the church, as he's addressing us as individuals, which ties us right back to what Mason preached on last week. We're going to be 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, when a person in their life comes to that place where they recognize that they have sin in their life, and they hear about this man named Jesus as the only way, the only one who can be their Savior to take care of that sin. They come to him. And so Peter says, as you come to him. And then goes on to describe Jesus as this living stone who is rejected by man, but chosen and precious to God. But then he speaks to the individual believer. He says, you like a living stone, are being built up into a spiritual house. Peter's making it clear that each and every one of us, we are critical to the building up of this thing that we know as the church. We all have a part to play. But it starts with having the right perspective. That Christ is the center of absolutely everything that we do. It ought to be the center of everything we do in our lives, in our church. It's all with Jesus as the center. Now jump down with me to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, Peter, as he's speaking to the church, he's calling them all to recognize exactly who they are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. When Jesus came, this new thing that was introduced was that we have access to God. We don't have to go through a third party. Jesus bridged that gap. We can come before God. We can bring others before God. And that is our mission. He goes on to say that you're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, our value comes from being one of God's children. We're not to try to gain value from anything else in this world, but for being one of God's children's but it's not of anything that you've done. It's because of what God has done through this new thing called Jesus. He is the reason that we can come before God and we can have that relationship with Him. Which all sounds a lot like what God's original intent was for the people of Israel when He originally chose them. His intent for the people of Israel that they were be a people that would show the entire world who he was. They messed up along the way. And we catch a glimpse back in Isaiah where God's trying to reorient their perspective and then get them back on track to help them understand that they are to be a people that glorifies him and declares his praises. Now, we see that God has chosen the church to be the one that shows the world who he is. And you and I are a part of that. We exist because this new thing that God did through Jesus Christ, we are now that avenue through which God wants to tell the world about him. The end of verse 9 says that very clearly, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, folks. There's a lot of people out there in darkness. We've been praying during our pastoral prayer time, been challenging and encouraging you to be praying for those people that you know that are in darkness. It's the reason why we're implementing these 500 breakthroughs in the next few months. It's because we need to be a people that are reaching those that do not know Jesus Christ. We are called to be on mission with Him. We are brought together as a people because of the mercy that he poured out on us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then Peter gets into some details, which Mason preached on last week, but not as detailed as what you read in Colossians chapter 3. He says in verse 11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. Some translations say as temporary residents or foreigners. You see, this is not our final home. 
We don't need to be living it up because this is not our final destination. But while we are here, we're to be making an impact in this world for Him and for His glory and for His sake. So we are to live and conduct our ways, ourselves in a way that shows the world exactly who God is. Now, last week in Colossians chapter 3, I feel that one of the most important verses within that uh, section that we studied was verse 14. It says, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It reminds me a lot of what Jesus says in John chapter 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's our love for one another. It's our love for people. It's our love for all people. So that the world will know exactly who God is. It's not about glorifying ourselves. It's not about glorifying Metropolitan Baptist Church. It's about glorifying God. So whether you're here today, maybe you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with God. You have never come to that place in your life in which you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life. Let me tell you, God wants to do a new thing in your life through Jesus Christ. He wants to show you what life was meant to be like. Maybe you're here and you're a fairly new believer. God wants to do a new thing in your life. Maybe you surrendered your life to Christ decades ago. The same is true for you. God wants to do a new thing in your life too. You see, God's always at work, always has been, and forever will be. So that means we are to continually be on mission with where God is at work. Sometimes that means it might look a little bit different than the way it used to be. But see, God's moving forward to accomplish His mission, His will, and we are to join Him in that. See, a Christian never arrives in this lifetime. So therefore, we cannot become complacent. God is shaping and molding us to the very end of our earthly lives. See, many followers of Christ miss out on this new thing that God wants to do in their life because they become satisfied with where they are. But God wants all of us to reach this world with this life-saving message of the gospel. Sometimes that means in new ways so that this life-changing new thing, Jesus, can make a difference in the lives of those who do not know him. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. I praise you, Father, for the words that you gave us so long ago. We see that you, Lord God, have been at work since the very beginning of time to accomplish your will, to accomplish your purpose. 
I pray, Lord God, that if, uh, if we don't have the right perspective, Lord, may you correct that in us. Help each and every person here come away with an understanding of the fact that you are God and we are not. That we are to be your witnesses. We are to be your servants. We exist to glorify and praise your holy and precious name. May we seek to exalt you with every ounce of our being, with wherever you place us, Lord God. Open our eyes and our ears to those that you want us to reach for your glory. May we not neglect the fact that you want to do a new thing through us that we are in that avenue through which you want to reach this world. May we not take that for granted. I pray, Father, for that there's someone here who has never surrendered their life to you. I pray, Lord God, that you would break down those barriers and those walls so that they can experience that new thing in Christ Jesus. I praise and exalt you, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.